All right, here we go, guys. Hey, what's up, Maria? How's it going? Good. How about you, Michael? Just chilling. Just uh, fed my belly, and I'm feeling better. <laughs> it's lunchtime. Good. As we document through our hour of lunch, mm -hmm. uh, try and escape for lunch oh. is hard. Today, I think we have a, a new topic. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, the cervical neck. Is that right? That's right. It's a complicated uh, structure Very much. to assess, but we'll give it a go and see how it works for our conversation, but also to provide education to anyone that's listening. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us what you know and uh, tell us about this soap that we're going to hear about today. Well, the soap that we're going to talk to about today is the cervical spine and particularly a patient that I worked with recently. So just to give you a little bit of a background as to what happened to her and the cause to have this uh, podcast, she is very active. She's 38 years old. She flew over her handlebars while on her mountain bike. Mm. And when she flew forward, she caught herself. Actually, she stopped herself by hitting her chin into oh. a boulder. Oh, no. I don't mean to laugh, guys, but that's awful. I think that sounds so painful that the force went you know, through her chin. Mm -hmm. And what are the additional you know, secondary issues that came after? Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that was the only significant site of injury. It could cause secondary injury, but she required um, seven stitches. Oh, wow. And no other fractures to report. She did have imaging, which I'll go into in a little bit okay. as to why I feel like that's significant. But let's talk about a little bit of the anatomy of the cervical spine. I think that might be the best place to start. Yeah, let's break it down. So there are seven cervical segments. Um, just kind of going one by one, you start at the top of the cervical segment and that's your C1 or your atlas. And your atlas actually rotates on the second cervical segment um, called your axis. So on the axis, there's kind of like a, a little bone that shoots up from the back end and then it allows for the pivot for that atlas tissue. And what connects that tissue together, which is called your aloeodontoid ligament. Mm -hmm. um, and that's potentially a site of injury if there was a car accident, if you have any um, kind of, what am I looking for? I would say any like kind of abrupt trans translatory. Translation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, translatory force. That would probably be the best way to explain it. And then after that, you've got the rest of your cervical segments all the way up to C7. So naturally, we refer to them as C1, C2, C3, all the way to C7. And each of those... Um, bones, they have a disc that sits in between your intervertebral disc. And that structure is more or less fluid base mm -hmm. and it allows for the compression of our head resting on our spine um, and allows for a shock absorber and it also gives heightened disc base to allow for the blood flow and the nerves to freely kind of support the rest of our limbs. So it really kind of houses the inner core of all of our circuits, mm -hmm. more or less. 
And so then on the outside of our cervical spine, we have transverse processes. And those are like bones that stick out on either side, kind of like little hands. And each of those hands or those bone segments. I love segments, your hands, by the way, that you're demoing. Guys, I wish you could see this. On the side, moving. <laughs> they have muscle tissue that attaches to that. So when we move, they facilitate the movement of the cervical spine, mm-hmm. sort of that internal intrinsic movement that provides the, that facilitates our larger movements. Well, anyway, so um, I hope that kind of gives you like a little baseline of more of my eyes in looking at the patient's movement when it comes time for uh, assessment. So anyway, you know, subjectively and, and throughout the interview, she told me the event of how this happened. She tried to avoid collision. She flew over her handlebars, caught herself on her chin. And she did not break her fall with her hands, didn't correct? Break, exactly. Yeah, she didn't break her hand, uh, break her fall with her hands, but her head went backwards to catch the bottom of mm. her chin. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, thankfully, you know, through imaging, she her cervical spine was fine. And most commonly, and this is a good question for anyone doing um, an exam, is to say, well, what type of imaging did you have? Mm -hmm. Did they just kind of do an anterior, posterior view, a lateral view? The view that I'm specifically looking for is one directly through the mouth. So I'll always say, well, did they have you open your mouth to look inside and do imaging that direction? And Thankfully, I can access a lot of my um, images if they're within our system, so I can also rule it out as well. But we're really trying to find out what does the structure of your C2 or your C1 on your C2 look like? Is that a safe spot? Was there any injury to that aloodontoid ligament? And if so, then we have caution to do any of our later special tests. Thankfully, everything was fine with her, so we could proceed. Good. Um, additionally, during some of my other questions, you know, I wanted to see what are some of her other chief complaints or challenges that she's having? Well, she's having some numbness and tingling um, into her right hand, specifically to her fourth and fifth digit. So again, you know, I want to just make sure that I'm being as thorough and differential as possible to see if there's any issues, you know, specifically at cervical segments. So I'm looking at her dermatones to see if I can correspond that to like a specific cervical uh, level that I would provide treatment and intervention for maybe later on in our session. So, you know, what I'm gathering from her is that she's telling me, uh, you know, she's got some pain and discomfort with her cervical side bend and her rotation. And then additionally, she's telling me she has a headache. And the headache, um, you know, is kind of broad to say that I have a headache, but to specifically identify what that pattern of headache is, you know, so descriptive terms may be it's across my forehead, um, it takes the shape or presentation of ram horn, mm-hmm. where it starts in the back of the head and then creeps up over to the front or over the eyebrow. Um, or she has pain behind her eye. Anything that maybe can kind of help me identify referred patterns of muscle tissue, tightness, or trigger points that I additionally might um, seek intervention or assessment for later. Maria, did she say she had a headache? She did. So her headache was on the right side and it was in that ram horn direction. What does that make you think immediately? What 
levels that are involved or muscular tissue that could be contributing to that ram's horn appearance? Well, if I'm already kind of thinking that it's cervical um, segment kind of C4, C5, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to probably invest my time in that. But I'm also thinking that maybe with that ram's horn, um, I'm thinking like a higher segment too. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, uh, I've kind of gone through my list of questions and to receive a subjective information and some interview. Now I'm just looking at her overall presentation and like observation of her posture, plumb line positioning. And what I'm talking about with the plumb line positioning is really does your head hit over, um, sit over your shoulders, your shoulders sit over your hips so that we can facilitate that nice curvature through your spine uh, cervical, thoracic, and lumbar, as if it is a spring holding your your head in place and proper alignment. Mm-hmm. So there's less wear and tear through um, the position because the force that's put upon us can definitely direct our head into different directions if there's weakness or if there's tightness. So after that, I like to go right into my um, range of motion assessment. So for that, I like to use you can use different tools sometimes. I think um, precise measurement or to get numbers is a better value than just uh, an observation because my observation may be a little bit different than yours, Michael, you know, reporting that they're lacking 25%, they're lacking 50%. So I like to use a bubble inclinometer for the cervical spine to assess all the range of motions. Do you use a bubble inclinometer? I do. Uh, Many times in the clinic, if I'm inheriting a patient Mm -hmm. and it's a cervical neck patient, sometimes you'll see that, wow, that person's limited 30% of left rotation. That doesn't mean a lot to me, only because it's so subjective. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have something that's objective and the bubble inclinometer, I think is the best measurement to get rotation. If we're measuring rotation, flexion, or extension of the neck. And when I was in school, we used a goniometer, so that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the bubble inclinometer is a gold standard, but you do have some other options. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing is just to document what you used. If someone else were to come along and do the assessment or reassessment, they would know what you used. Um, Just for the consistency. Absolutely, be consistent. But then also I think it's important to document if this person's lying down, seated or standing. I think that's imperative. So you can recreate the measurement later on. And if it's not you, make sure that you document that so the next person knows. Exactly. So um, to touch base back on, um, you know, my hand demonstration (laughs) and how the movement of your transverse processes move and facilitate, you want to think about both your hands falling forward in a flex position and both your hands falling backwards into an extension position. And if you side bend, you side bend with your right hand dropping backwards. So I'm side bending to the right. My right hand drops back as my left hand glides forward so that I'm getting some side bend. Um, But additionally, as I'm side bending, I'm also rotating. So that would be the cervical spine follows coupled motions. They go the same direction. So um, Maria, can we we give them a hypothetical um, segment that we're working with, like maybe C4 on C5 and the orientation of that joint? So if we were to say C4 and C5, so C4 is falling forward and then C5 follows. If we were going to side bend, 
C4 on the right transverse processes will slide backwards and the C4 transverse processes on the left will glide forward. And what we're doing is we're looking for the movement to happen like C4 and then C5 and then the C6 all moving in that same direction falling back. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've assessed the range of motion. Um, I'm now thinking, okay, while they're sitting here, let's get into some special tests. And so I'm looking for a sensitive test to see if we can kind of roll in further involvement. Um, I did not do the aloidontoid test only because I already knew it was ruled out during the x-ray. So I just kind of put that on my back burner. I did do a Sperling's quadrant test on the patient just to see if we had any foraminal um, you know, closures that were evident as to causing pain or discomfort or restriction through those transverse processes to suggest that maybe they're not falling back all at the same time. So if C4 doesn't want to rotate backwards and it gets stuck, it can kind of lock down and then it causes a compromise or a pinch on the same side that it should be falling back to. Um, so it's something to think about. I, I would suggest looking that up for further explanation. Um, but that, I felt like that was the most relevant test and it turned out being positive on the right side. So I'm going down the right track at mm-hmm. this point to think that maybe with the direction of how she fell, did it compromise those cervical segments? Also, uh, wouldn't that be indicative of having that ridiculous or numbness uh, I guess uh, any kind of those sensation changes she mm-hmm. she felt on those digits on the right hand. It what could, it, yeah. It, it didn't really follow the dermatome. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, again, like just kind of keeping that in my back pocket mm-hmm. to think, okay, you know, maybe the next time I can do a brachial plexus tension that mm-hmm. maybe she did absorb a little bit more than she realized. Um, any other special tests that you would think of, Michael, that you would want to do? When I'm looking at... Uh, that cervical radiculopathy, or what we just talked about—the numbness, the tingling, the uh, the strange sensation that you would feel in your fingertips—you mm-hmm. um, can hang your hat on. Excuse me, you can hang your hat on four different tests. You would want to see uh, when they rotate their head—is it less than sixty degrees? If it's a positive, oh, we might be barking up the right tree. Next to that, you would look at an upper limb tension test. If that's positive. We are pretty confident something's going on. The spurling, which you just did. And then lastly, uh, if I applied traction to their neck, if they're lying down and I apply traction and that relieves the symptoms or normalizes the symptoms that they have in their right hand, I can hang my hat pretty confidently that there's probably some sort of impingement in the neck or cervical region, hence the name cervical radiculopathy. Oh, I think it's interesting too, even as like a student or an early young PT, uh, you want to make sure that you explore all avenues. So mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to to do a lot of those special tests. Uh, as long as the patient's not increasing in pain and there's 100%. tolerance, you can also save those for follow-up. I think that's like the best part too, is that in my documentation plan to further assess, you know, for me, it was a brachial plexus because I felt like I could spend a lot of time and I did some soft tissue work mm-hmm. um, that I want to just mention as well. But um, there was enough there that I felt like we could do some treatment intervention initially. And, and I feel like it should be test 
intervention, test mm-hmm. intervention. You don't have to do all the tests or the examination and then treatment at the end. It well, should be intertwined, I think. Yeah, and I think that just brings up a good point for the soft tissue. So um, with the soft tissue assessment, you know, I'm, I'm most likely having that patient uh, lie on their back in a supine position mm-hmm. so that I can kind of cradle their head a little bit and they trust me to glide or see what those cervical segments feel like without the force of gravity, mm-hmm. without resistance of muscle tissue, and actually feel how the cervical segments glide or slide. Uh, so you know, initially what I'm having to do is just put my hands uh, posteriorly on their neck and to palpate for their transverse processes. And then I'm just gliding them into flexion and seeing how well the cervical segments translate. So just like with my hands, I wanna see if they move side to side. Do they in both a flex position and in an extended position? And if there's a little bit of a hang up or like a decreased movement to one direction, then most likely I'll try and do an intervention called a muscle energy technique. Mm, Those are wonderful. So I think that's like a good thought for the test and retest because then I can see how they're doing before and then after. So most of the time I put them into the position that they're lacking and create tension. So I have them basically do like an isometric into my hand as I facilitate the rotation that they need. Mm -hmm. And then I take them through the whole motion and reassess their mobility after. And I think it's a really good technique. Um, It also can translate into self technique too, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, guys, I think this is worth mentioning. It's incredibly safe to do, either you as the practitioner or the patient. Um, there's a couple things that would prevent you from actually doing those things, um, but by and large, it's actually a very safe technique. Would you agree, Maria? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a gentle technique. Uh, you can also provide education, too, of how to not turn on accessory muscles, Yes. which is most commonly uh, what occurs initially. And then after, once you cue them on, don't turn on your scaling muscles. All right, great then that's a good indication too that maybe they're using them excessively too in like their job description. So great later like follow-up questions in the treatments that come after the initial eval. But I think the big takeaways from today are the event of the injury, um, the assessment just from the interview of the patient, but also what I identified as limited rotation. Um, There was also a positive spurling test which I hopefully cleared up with um, some intervention. But then after, you know, what did I give her for exercises or home program? Because I always want to make sure my patients leave with something. And the biggest thing that I wanted her to identify was some deep neck flexor exercises Mm. so that she can get some symmetrical chin retraction and glide to the tissue to facilitate some blood flow, strengthening, Uh, And so that that might be able to help with the management of her headaches, which I don't think I'd necessarily emphasize much in the treatment or the intervention, but maybe with some of these exercises, it'll help kind of clear up. Mm -hmm. I I think that was kind of it, but um, some follow-up things that, like I said, I would like to work on or assess our brachial plexus, probably reassess her range of motion, If she needed other soft tissue work, I'd probably invest in that. She is, uh, she's a teacher. So 
thinking about her workstation setup. Does she tolerate standing? If so, what's her posture look like standing? Um, and other follow-ups would be too to see um, her grip strength. So I did assess her grip strength and it was bilaterally decreased for her age and gender, mm. but I think it's worth uh, investing in assessing again, yeah. maybe once she feels a little bit better. When do you see her again? Do you have, is it in the next week or do you know? Well, I think that's a hard thing too with like her age and her job that it's hard to do follow-ups mm. for that. Um, we're conversing a lot through um, our EMR, like through patient care. But to progress her, you know, and she's also very highly active, we tried to establish a good gym program and progressive cervical spine exercises so that when we saw each other again, we could reassess everything and kind of build on her established program. I'm anxious to see how she feels when she sees you next time. Uh, Maybe we'll just do a little quick blurb next time on one of our future podcasts just to say, hey, do you remember that person that uh, fell over her handlebars? Broke her fall with her chin. Luckily, she didn't break her jaw. Mm-hmm. And just see how she's doing. I think that'd be a really nice follow-up. I agree. I think it would be an interesting topic to see what's progressed, what's better or worse or the same. That's usually my best question that I can give patients mm-hmm. and then see what builds from there. So Wonderful. Maria, thank you so much. Um, guys, thank you for listening. We hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk at you later. Later. Bye.